Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Word of Life Church. Those of you who are joining us online, uh, we're glad to have you with us. It's good to see many of you here in the sanctuary at Word of Life or also maybe Arrowhead North. And I I told worship team before service, I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try not to talk about what's happening later today. We're going to push that on into the future, right? It's uh, church before chiefs, right? It's Jesus before Juju. Come on, somebody. But we are glad that you are here uh, with us and online. We're in the season of Epiphany. It is a season about the the brightness of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, but we're getting ready for the season of Lent. Next week, Wednesday is the beginning of the Lenten season. We'll have one Ash Wednesday service, February 22nd, here in the sanctuary, also online. And so I encourage you to make plans for the season of Lent. Lent is a time for us to journey with Jesus to the cross. Lent is a time for drawing back a little bit into a time of self-reflection and prayer. Uh, Lent is a time, well, for giving things up. There's a tradition of giving things up and I'm already making my plans of what I'm gonna give up during the six and a half weeks of Lent. And so we want you to prepare for this season because what it does is it, it helps us to enter fully into the sorrows of Jesus so that we can get ready for the next season, which is Easter. And spoiler alert, uh, the story ends well, I'll just tell you that. But before we get to the Easter celebration, before we get to the joy of Easter, if we want to fully enter into the joy of Easter, we first have to walk with Jesus to Jerusalem, to his crucifixion and death. And we do that over six and a half weeks. We call that Lent and we begin on Ash Wednesday. So make plans to, to be here online in person. And um, also uh, be praying for Pastor Brian and Perry. They have been ministering in India. Uh, We have friends in India. And uh, Pastor Brian's been speaking, encouraging uh, pastors there. So uh, pray for them. Uh, Also be praying for Pastor Brian because he's got to watch the Super Bowl in India at at like five o'clock in the morning with his chai tea. And uh, yeah, so be praying for them. They'll be back with us uh, next Sunday. Uh, But I'm ready to jump into the scriptures, but I don't just wanna leap into the sermon uh, without a little bit of prayer. Uh, We were singing that song, I exalt thee, an oldie but a goodie. I remember the first time I sang that song, it was in a large Christian event in Kansas City. uh, And this was, you know, before the Chiefs were really good. this is early 90s and I was, I was in this large event with a bunch of Christians and it was the very first time that I both saw people lift their hands in worship and me too, because I had I'd been in a church where you didn't, you didn't lift your hands in worship. Uh, you stood like a statue. You could sing, but don't move and don't ooh, lift that hand because then you get in trouble. Um, but I was in this large Christian event and we were all just out of the sincerity of our hearts. I was 16 years old. We were singing that song, I exalt thee and lifting our hands. So let's pray and exalt Jesus a little bit before we jump into the sermon. 
you close your eyes with me, bow your heads, let's pray. Jesus, we come together to lift you up and to exalt you. Jesus, we believe that you are Lord. We believe that you are King. We believe that you are Savior and Healer. Lord, you are our rescuer and our shepherd. And Lord, today we're asking that you would lead us. Today, Jesus, we're asking that you would shepherd us and speak to us and challenge us and guide us, Lord, out of the bad lands and into resurrection country. Jesus, may we hear you today. May we encounter you through scripture and sacrament today. Jesus, be glorified in our time together as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Today's gospel reading is from the Sermon on the Mount, which is perhaps Jesus' most famous sermon. Jesus preached a lot of sermons, but top on that list is the Sermon on the Mount, which is a radical political manifesto. The Sermon on the Mount gives us who are followers of Jesus, the instructions on how we are to live both individually and collectively as citizens of God's kingdom. So we've, say, we've said yes to Jesus. How many of you said yes to Jesus already? If you've said yes to Jesus and yes to his kingdom, yes to his righteousness, yes to his form of justice, then it's the Sermon on the Mount that shapes how we live our lives as kingdom citizens. And according to Jesus, the kingdom is not only focused on behaviors, not killing people, not cheating on your spouse, not throwing away your marriage, not breaking your promises. But Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount goes deeper than just those behaviors. And Jesus speaks, we've heard already today, about the matters of the heart. So Jesus not only wants to deal with, with how we live, but the heart motivation that, that inspires how we live. So Jesus is not only talking about those behaviors, but Jesus talks about heart issues like, like, like lust and like anger and like exploitation and integrity. Jesus knows that all, how shall we say it, all religious legalistic forms of rule keeping that are focused on behavior modification, all that kind of religion and spirituality is a dead end road. It cannot produce life, right? Rule-based religion, fault-finding religion that's purely about how you act cannot produce the real life of the kingdom. Rather what Jesus knows and masterfully explains to the Sermon on the Mount is we not only have to focus on our behaviors, but go deeper into the heart and open ourselves into the kind of inward formation. So where we are changed on the inside and then that affects how we live on the outside. Jesus is much more interested here in the Sermon on the Mount in forming our heart and forming our character. And so today we are going to see what Jesus has to say about anger 
and we are going to together deal with our anger issues. Two verses from Jesus today, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. Jesus speaking says, You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Amen. So let's start here as a baseline. Let's, let's, let's start first with behaviors so that we're clear. Murder is bad. We are attempting to live the kind of lives where we're not killing one another. Can we all agree there? I don't have to explain. I don't have to argue. I don't have, we all get that. Murder is bad. You kill people, judgment's coming your way. You kill somebody, you're going to end up in jail or you probably should end up in jail. Murder is bad. But again, Jesus goes deeper than that to say that if you are angry with someone, you spout off and call someone an idiot. Well, judgment is coming your way as well. Jesus is going to challenge us today to focus on our anger issues. Now, anger can become destructive when anger turns our words into weapons. Have you ever had that moment, that experience where something is going on and you can feel anger boiling up on the inside of you and it kind of overflows into these heat-seeking missiles? It just must be me, right? I'm the only one who've ever had that situation. Okay, in the back row, I see two hands. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate that. It really is, when, when there's arguments, this is where you see these angry words turning into weapons happening all the time because you get into an argument with someone and it's usually someone really close to you and, and you're just in some type of disagreement and you're having this argument and they say that one thing particularly if it's someone who knows you well, they push that one button, they cross that one line and you can feel it boiling up on the inside of you and you hit go. And these words like missiles are fired out towards them. Now, if you've ever been in these kind of arguments, you know how it works. You know how it goes, right? You fire off your missile and what do they do? Well, they throw up their defense shields. They throw up their defense mechanisms. They see an inbound missile coming their way. So they defend themselves and then over their defenses, they fire their missiles back at you. And so you see an incoming missile, what do you do? You lift your defenses and now you're firing your missiles back and you're just back and forth. Anger becomes destructive when our words become missiles, when they become uh, intent on destroying and harming the other, rhetorically speaking. Now we can use our words, children, boys and girls, we can use our words to seek understanding and find common ground. 
Actually, that's the purpose of communication, right? The English word communication has commune or common. We can use our words to find common ground. I think that's the purpose of communication, healthy communication. Often when I'm working with people, when they're in a relational conflict and they don't know how to untangle the knots, I always say, ask a loving question, right? So missiles being fired your way, instead of firing back, you can say, well, hold on, missile firing person. Help me understand why you feel in that way. Help me understand where that's coming from. Right? So we can use our words like that, or we can use our words like weapons, right? And ask, because I always tell people, ask a loving question when you're in these arguments. And I emphasize the loving part because you can ask a question that's not loving. You can ask a question like, why are you so stupid? <laughs> what did your mother do to you? Right? Now, that's not seeking understanding. That's, that's, a little, that's a little Trojan horse missile. That's a missile that's kind of wrapped up in a question. But this is where Jesus calls us today. It's not only focused on the way that we use our words, but what's at the heart, what's at the source. And is there anger on the inside that's causing us to create and wreak such havoc? Jesus is ruling and reigning over a kingdom where anger does not have a privileged place. And so we have to deal with our anger issues. And so that's what I want us to do today. I want to focus in particular on three anger issues. And I want us to look at each of these in the form of a question. Anger issue number one. How do I respond to the anger I feel? Anger issue number one. How do I respond to the anger I feel? And first thing is give yourself permission to feel angry when anger comes. Right? This idea that Christians aren't supposed to get angry, I think it's just silly. Because in one sense, anger is simply a, a human emotion. And Jesus was fully human. And yes, Jesus got angry. Jesus got angry most often in the face of hypocritical, judgmental kind of religion. Right? There was a moment that Jesus was healing on the Sabbath and the Pharisees, that, that, that religious group that were not only holding to the scriptures, but they had all these other rules. They got upset because Jesus was helping some guy out on the Sabbath day. The guy had a withered hand and Jesus did a miracle, healed his hand. And well, according to the Pharisees, according to their rule book, that was breaking all the rules because Jesus was working on the Sabbath day when he should have been resting. See, the, the Pharisees, they were prioritizing rules over relationships, policies over people, and that made Jesus mad. And the scriptures say that Jesus looks at this group of Pharisees angrily, and then he tries to correct them. So what do you do with the anger that you feel? First and foremost, give yourself the permission to feel it. It's okay to feel angry. It took me a long time to figure that out because I really bought into the lie that, well, Christians aren't, some emotions are okay, but anger, that's off the table. What I've learned over the years is when, when I feel anger, here's what I do. I allow myself to feel it. I feel it, I name it, and then I let it go. This is, this is what I've learned. This is what I do. 
when I recognize, oh, I have emotions. Something's happening in here. Oh, I know what that is. I am mad. And I, I vocalize it. I say it. I say it right out loud. I name that feeling on the inside of me. I say, I'm mad. That's anger. But then I let it go. And that, I think, becomes sometimes the difficult part. But if I'm going to walk in the ways of Jesus, if I'm going to hear him clearly, and if I'm going to go the Jesus way, I have to recognize that I'm going to be responsible if I don't let that anger go. But I'm also going to recognize that it is okay to feel angry. Because Jesus felt it, and Jesus didn't sin, by the way. There is a massive difference between being a person who feels angry and being an angry person. Like one of those is Christ-like and one of them isn't. Do you know the difference? It's one thing to be a person who from time to time feels angry, feels it, names it, lets it go. And then there's just people that they're they're angry people. Anger has become a part of their identity. It's who they are. They walk around with that anger all the time. There's a big difference between those two. I think the apostle Paul gives us such great wisdom in Ephesians chapter four. Paul writes, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Notice what the apostle is saying here. Number one, be angry and do not sin. See, simply feeling angry, feeling that emotion is not what's gonna lead to the judgment that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. It's what we do with that anger. So Paul here, be angry and do not sin and don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, that doesn't mean that you got to solve all your anger issues in one day, which again, some people have believed that. I've heard uh, some like young married couples, they're given the advice, well, never go to bed angry. That's not wise advice. Because uh, sometimes the best thing you can do when you're angry is just take a nap. I mean, have you ever had that moment where you think your whole life's falling apart? Have you had that moment where you think everyone is possessed by the devil? and that nothing good is ever gonna come out of this poor, pitiful life. And then you just take a nap and you wake up and you're like, oh, oh yeah, I'm just tired. <laughs> I'm better now. I'm telling you, if I could create my own religion, it'd be salvation by napping. Let me get a witness, somebody. <laughs> I plan on getting a nap today. When Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, he doesn't mean you gotta work out all your anger issues in one day because the reality is, Untangling the knots created on the inside of us by anger takes some time. Brother, Paul's wisdom here is make getting rid of anger a priority. If not, you give a foothold, you give an opportunity for the devil. The devil means the accuser. See, unresolved anger that you don't let go so easily can cause you and I to play the role of the accuser. It's what angry people do. They start finding what's wrong with everyone out here. And so what do we do when we feel anger? We feel it. We give ourselves permission to feel it. We name it and we let it go. Anger issue number two. How do I resolve the anger that seems to linger? I mean, what, what if anger doesn't go? 
What if we're trying to let it go and it's just clinging on to us? And this is a malady. This is a problem. Because when we let unresolved anger really nestle down into our hearts, it turns us into withered, ugly kind of people. I mean, we're, let's be honest, we're not our best selves when we're angry. So what do we do when it feels like it gets entrenched in our heart and we can't let it go? Well, you, for, some, for some of you, what you might need to do is untangle those knots and work on unresolved anger issues with the help of another person. You might need a spiritual director, or a, a counselor, a therapist. I mean, listen, it's okay to have Jesus and a therapist too. Right, Jesus is the savior. He's gonna lead us out. He's gonna show us the way. But sometimes these things get entrenched on the inside of us and we need help to, to, to untangle the knots. This is my story. In my middle 20s, late 20s, I was really struggling with unresolved anger. I was just angry all the time. I was a young pastor. I was a young dad. I was a young husband. And I just, I was angry all the time. And unfortunately, it wasn't church folks that got to see my angry, uh, my anger. Rather, it was, it was my family. I mean, I, I, I'm ashamed to admit that there was times that my family saw that. I'm not proud of it, but it, but it happened. I mean, it's true. I mean, you can, ask, you can ask Wesley about the time I threw a hanger across the room. Now, by the way, he sometimes tells that story that I threw the hanger at him. That's not true. This was a missile, this little plastic hanger it was not aimed at him. But I, I, I just was, I was angry all the time. And I was pastoring in South Georgia. I was a youth pastor at this church working with teenagers. Oh, Lord Jesus, I had some anger issues. Uh, but I was just angry all the time. And so I was working on my doctoral degree at Asbury Theological Seminary. I was a correspondent student doing a modular program, traveling up to the seminary. By the way, Asbury University is experiencing a bit of a spiritual awakening right now. Uh, Asbury, they had a chapel service that started sometime last week and it hasn't ended. Uh, like students come into the chapel and seeking God and worshiping. So pray for Asbury. Good things are happening there. So while I was at Asbury, I had the opportunity to meet with a counselor. So I'm meeting with the counselor. He was the head of the pastoral counseling department at Asbury. And he was asking me to kind of unpack my life. And I didn't really know this guy, but I just started opening the vault and told him that I, about these anger issues. I was angry all the time. I didn't know what to do with it. And he just listened, asked questions. We met a couple of times and he said, well, the thing is, is I, I really think you're depressed. Now that only made me more mad because I didn't think Christians were supposed to be depressed. I mean, I'm here for anger issues. Don't talk to me about depression. Made me mad. Don't talk, I got the victory of Jesus. I'm not depressed. But I listened to him. Gave me some things to work on. And then I was back home and I was meeting with my pastor and I was telling him some of these things. And my pastor asked me, well, well, how's your prayer life? How, how's, how's prayer? And I was like, uh, not really praying. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick one Psalm and I want you to make that your prayer. 
And whenever, whenever David, for example, whoever the psalm writer is, is praying against his enemies, I want you to pray against the enemies of your soul. Pray against that depression and anger. This is really, I, this is when I first learned about the beauty of praying the Psalms. And so what I found was Psalm 71. And I started praying words like, my God, rescue me from the power of the wicked, from the clutches of cruel oppressors. But in my mind, when I was praying those words, those cruel oppressors, it was that anger and it was that depression underneath it that I was praying against that God would rescue me from those oppressors. And about six weeks of praying the same psalm, it's just, I, I don't know how, but that, that heaviness of both depression and anger began to lift. And, and, and I'm not trying to offer any kind of surefire formula. I'm just telling you what happened to me. That I learned that there is a, that there is a, a way to deal with anger that lingers. Prayer is a way. But beyond that, it's also trying to figure out what is underneath that anger. See, anger is to your emotions what pain is to your body. Anger is an indication that something is not right. Anger is a secondary emotion. There's something underneath that. And so I, I wanna give you just four questions that you can ask if you find yourself in this position where you're like, I got unresolved anger, it's lingering. How do I deal with it? Here's four questions that might help you in getting underneath that anger. Number one, was there a trust that was broken? Do you feel betrayal? Do you feel deceived or you've been lied to? Broken trust can lead to anger. Number two, was there an injustice that has occurred? Maybe you've experienced injustice or maybe you see injustice in our world and it makes you angry. Number three, was there an expectation that was unmet? And this was the big one for me. This is what I learned about the anger issue that was lingering in my heart. I had unrealistic expectations. I expected my five-year-old and four-year-old to act like grown adults. That was not realistic. Jenny was like, they're, they're five years old. You can't, I was like, well, I was five years old. I had a full-time job. <laughs> five years old. I was, I was shaving by six. No, I, I had to realize that the problem was not with them. The problem was in me. I had unrealistic expectations. Number four, was there an insult or threat hurled towards me? Perhaps the feeling of, of being threatened or disrespected. Now these four questions are not the only questions. And again, you might need help from a third party in working through, but these are just four I think that are very key in trying to determine what's underneath that anger. But as you're working through this process of both acknowledging your anger, but working on the underneath stuff, what you can do is bring it into the presence of God. Right? What I learned about the Psalms is so true. It's why I love the habit of praying the Psalm for the day, particularly Psalms that have language that allow us to express our anger because anger has to be expressed somewhere. And the best place to express our anger is into the, in the presence of God. Because here's what happens. When you take that anger and sometimes you're working on the underneath stuff and you bring it into the presence of God, you can use language like, uh, what's it, Psalm uh, 3, uh, verse 7, Lord, break the teeth of the wicked, 
right? You're like, why should a Christian ever pray something like that? Well, sometimes you're just so mad you need language like that. But here's what happens. If you use language like that with your anger in God's presence, you often get a, get a, get a different perspective, right? So you're praying and you're bringing your anger into the presence of God and you're using the Psalms, Lord, break the teeth of the wicked. You might get a little clarity. You might hear the Lord saying, dude, they, they just messed up your Chipotle order. It's okay. <laughs> oh, that's right. They are busy and shorthanded. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes you get a new perspective. And then sometimes like me, some 20 years ago, you can really feel that anger being lifted. Something about the presence of God that heals us deep within causes the anger to dissipate. Anger issue number three. What about righteous anger? Righteous anger, righteous indignation. Christians like that. Just say that word, indignation. Well, that's cathartic. That feels good. Righteous anger. I'm very suspicious of so-called righteous anger. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So I, I'm, I'm just, I'm leery of righteous indignation. I don't know how righteous anger is. God did not design us to be angry people because God is not angry. God is love. That's the good news of the gospel. That God is not mad. God is not angry. God is love. And we were created in the image of God to reflect that image into the world. And because God is not angry, we're not called to live as angry people. Again, there's such wisdom, I think, in Ephesians chapter 4. Listen again to the words of the Apostle Paul. This is Ephesians 4, 22, where he writes, Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul here is describing what we call spiritual formation. And to me, this is, this is a, a key response to the gospel message. The gospel is the story of Jesus. The gospel is the story of how God loves you and God wants to be with you in your mess, in your sin, yes, in your anger. Jesus comes to be with you that he might rescue you and redeem you and pull you out of an old life and put you into this new life. This is the gospel. And the response to that is not only do we say yes to Jesus, but we say yes to a process of, of stripping off our old self before Jesus and putting on what God always designed for us. And that is that we would reflect God's image. Because God, because God loves us, God created us in his beautiful and perfect image. But because of our nature and choices, that image is somewhat shattered. And Jesus comes to renew that image in us once again. And then look at what Paul says, a couple verses down in Ephesians 4, verse 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So why do we have to let go of things like wrath and anger? 
It's because those things belong to our old self. Again, we're putting on our new self created and recreated in the image of God. And in God, there is no anger. Anger and wrath, these things belong to our old self. And so we have to put them away. The good news is that God is love plus nothing. God is unmixed love. God is not love and wrath. God is not love and anger. God is not love and hate. God is pure love. And I think some of you need to hear that in a new way today because I fear that some of you have grown up with angry parents or an angry adult in your life. And for some reason you've projected that image upon God and you think God's the one who's angry when God is nothing but love. Well, so does that mean that God lets us get away with anything? Oh no. God is love. And Jesus tells us that out of a heart of love, God brings judgment. There is judgment to come. We will be held responsible for what we do and what we say. There is judgment, but God doesn't judge us from a place of anger. God judges us from a place of love, wanting to correct something within us. I mean, can you imagine a parent who disciplines out of anger? That's not a good picture. I mean, I'll admit I've been that parent. It's not my best moments when out of anger, when I'm frustrated and I lash out punishing my children. That's my old self. That's not me being renewed in the image of God because God will judge. In a moment, we'll prepare ourselves for communion and we'll confess the words of the Apostles' Creed and we'll say we believe that Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Judgment is coming but God judges only out of love because God's every intention for you, God's every thought about you is love. And when we come together on Sunday mornings, we are here to announce that love and to celebrate that love. We are here to announce that because of Jesus' great love for us, this is how God has demonstrated God's love for us. While we were yet sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. That we could be forgiven of our sin and freed from our sin and rescued from our sin so that we can become human beings, men and women who reflect the image of perfect love. And so as we come to the table, we do so to both bear witness, to proclaim the death of Jesus and to walk in newness of life. Let's prepare ourselves for Holy Communion. Would you stand up with me? We're gonna invite everyone to the communion table. Every one of you are invited to come and participate in this holy and sacred meal. Those of you who are worshiping online with us, get some communion elements because you're invited to the table too. When we come to the table of communion, we do so by Jesus' own invitation because Jesus says, come. And we come to the communion table and you will hear someone say the body of Christ broken for you. Believe that. Believe that Jesus has died for you. 
that through Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, Jesus is making a new way for you. A way, uh, a way, a new way away from your life of corruption. Perhaps it's anger. Maybe it's something else. Jesus wants to rescue you. And so by coming to communion, you'll hear someone say, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Believe that it is. You'll see someone holding a basket of bread. Take that bread and you'll see someone with a cup. Dip the bread in the cup and eat and taste and see that the Lord is good. God loves us more than I can communicate today. It's words seem to fail me when I try to communicate the immense ocean of God's love for you. He's not mad at you. He wants you to come. He doesn't want you to resist anymore. He wants you to live a new life. And so there's lots of things that have to change, but God is for you. He loves you. He wants to rescue you. And Jesus, who is our shepherd, wants to lead you into a good place. So I'm gonna invite you to join me in making a twofold confession this morning. We're both going to confess our faith. We'll use the words of the Apostles' Creed for that. And we'll also confess our sins together. Let's do this together, church, and then we'll come to this table of celebration, the celebration of the love of God for us. But let's first confess our Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, amen. And now join me, let's make this confession of sin together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And now with, with great joy, we come to the table of Jesus by the invitation of Jesus. We come close to Jesus because we want to meet with him. We want to commune with him. So this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who want him and for those who want him more. So come you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, 
You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. It is the Lord's will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you.